community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, hey there, everyone. Glenn Blakeney here, live from Dallas, Texas, and uh, we welcome you tonight to the Kingdom Community Show. It's going to be a great session. My guest is Michael Pink. We're going to be talking about becoming an influencer, how to impact the sphere that God has called you to. And it's very interesting that when you read the New Testament, we clearly see that the Apostle Paul was very focused on completing his assignment and finishing well. He says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Then he specifically says, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So it's very important that we finish well, that we stay focused on our assignment, what God has called us to do. And my guest tonight, Michael Pink, has incredible insight into this topic and specifically how Paul was used by God so extraordinarily to impact the world, the ancient world, the Roman Greco world at that time. And so, Michael, I want to welcome you to the Kingdom Community Show. It's so good to have you with us again. God bless you. Yes, Glenn. I love it. Glad to be here with you, my friend. Great. So you've been um, really, in, in recent times, the Lord's really been speaking to you about how Paul fought the good fight. Uh, and then the question, of course, is how exactly did he do that? And right. were the strategies that he modeled and, and so on. So that's a very important topic because as we were talking about just before we went on the air, it's very interesting that Jesus grew not only in the anointing, as people would say, he not only grew in that, but in wisdom specifically. Mm -hmm. It says he grew yeah. the increase in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. And I mentioned also that the Bible says that Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory. But then he said, show me your ways. Mm -hmm, Teach mm -hmm. me your ways." So there is a way that pleases God, right? And there's a way that seems good to a man even. And unfortunately, the results aren't, aren't <laughs> ideal. So let's talk about how did you even really get onto this? Um, I mean, obviously, something must have happened in your journey with the Lord, which really caused you to take a, a close look at Paul. Let's, yeah. let's talk about that. Well, you know, I kind of grew up in the charismatic persuasion. I wasn't, you know, a Christian as a child or a young man. But, you know, by the time I got to about 18, I think it was right around there uh, is when I got born again. And as I was in that kind of persuasion, there tended to be this uh, idea that there was a lot of um, spiritualism, if you are dualism, where mm -hmm. basically spirit or spiritual things are good and physical things are somehow lesser carnal things, meaning of the of the of the human nature, whether mm -hmm. it's your physical body or just physical realities. It, there tend to be a, a bit of a, a tendency to uh, spiritualize things a lot. 
And um, so I kind of came up through that. But as I grew and studied the word, I started to find out a few things. Um, and Paul's life was one of those lives that, you know, we think of him as the great apostle Paul. And, and, and he always heard the story about they would take handkerchiefs from him and they would you know, send them out to people and they would be healed or delivered or whatever. And those miracles truly did happen. But the way he impacted the world, specifically Asia Minor, which today is Turkey, largely Turkey, the way he impacted that area, Greece, and as you call it, the Greco-Roman Empire, as he impacted that, um, was he, it involved his vast uh, mental faculties as well. We did, he didn't check his brain at the door, so to speak. He, he came in and he began to do a few things. And I when I studied the life of Paul, I was, no pun intended, I was appalled <laughs> at, at this reality. And the thing, the first verse that stuck out, stood out to me was in Acts chapter 17. And I got to tell you, uh, when I read it, it says, um, Paul was in Athens. This is when he was in Athens. <clears throat> and it said, he went to Athens and his spirit was provoked in him, mm -hmm. within him. Why? It says, when he first saw that the city was given away to idols. Hmm. Now, I don't know if you've ever had it. I would assume you have, but maybe not. Maybe not everybody else watching. But I can remember a very specific time when I went into a place of business and my spirit was provoked in me. Hmm. I didn't think of it in those terms, but that's exactly what happened. Now, yeah. what Paul did, if you said, what was his response to that in Athens? It says, therefore... Therefore, very important. Yes. I'm provoked with all these idols. Let's call a prayer meeting and uh, rent a jet and fly overhead and cast out the demons or something. But no, therefore, he, listen, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and also with the Gentile worshipers. And thirdly, in the marketplace daily, you know, catch this, <laughs> with those who happened to be there. Hmm. Now, there's a difference between reasoning and street preaching. Street yeah. preaching is one way. Yeah. Reasoning is a different story. Sure. Now, he did this. Now, so his reaction was to engage them and reason with them. Now, I remember a time, Glenn, when yes. I, I was in Jamaica. I, I'm a writer, so I have a Mont Blanc pen, and I had a nice ceramic Mont Blanc pen back in that day. And uh, I was staying at the Ritz-Carlton. I was a speaker with... Henry Blackaby and a few guys for the Fellowship of Companies for Christ International. They have their conferences in Ritz-Carlton's all over the world. And so I was one of the, the featured speakers, and it was a great thing for me. I was very happy to be there. But my pen dropped. I, I dropped it in the room, and it hit the tile floor, and it broke the ceramic. And I was disappointed. Wow. I said, well, I'm going to go get another one. They didn't have one in, in the hotel, but there was a little strip mall half a mile away or whatever it was with a nice luxury shops. I thought, well, maybe they'll have, we're in Jamaica. And so I thought maybe they'll have one there. So I go over there. Now, as it turned out, the event that I was speaking at was just after a series of hurricanes had swept across the Caribbean. And oh. so trips, everybody canceled their trip to Jamaica, but we didn't, mm -hmm. but tourists by and large did. And so when I got to this nice jewelry store with two Hindus that were running it, and nice young men. One was the manager. One was his, his assistant or whatever. Very nice fellas. And they were running that store. And uh, I didn't know anything about them initially. I was looking for a pen. And 
my wife was with me. She was looking for jewelry. <laughs> and then I noticed on the wall by the cash register what were two pictures. One was a picture of one of the Hindu gods that has like an elephant trunk and six arms. And I'm sure you've seen that someplace. Yeah. And, and then there was another one of a man who was like a Maharaji guru kind of guy. That's when my spirit got provoked. Now, I didn't know this passage there, but my reaction was the same. I was actually, maybe it wasn't quite as nice as Paul's. I was a little yeah. bit provoked. And, I, and I, I hate to admit this, but if I'm being completely honest with you, I, I kind of went to pick a fight. Now, not physically, of course, or mean-spirited, but it was, I just went up to them. I said, oh, who's that a picture of pointing to the Maharaja guy? And right. he said, oh, that's God. I said, really? He doesn't look very old. <laughs> and we began to have a conversation. And then, and, and, and as we did, I, I used a technique about asking questions, which we'll cover a little later. Then his, his, his store guy, you know, clerk came over and the four of us got into a conversation. No customers came in. And at the end of an hour of reasoning together, I asked him one of the questions. We're talking about faith and religion and so forth. I said, if you were wrong about his Hindu beliefs, mm -hmm. would you want to know? Okay, just rational, reasonable thinking. If you were wrong, would you want to know? Well, yes. And God you yeah. took that conversation. And by the end of it, both those men, we stood in a, semi, a circle of four of us, held hands, and they both prayed to receive Christ and give their life to Jesus right there in the store Man, in Jamaica. Because awesome. my spirit was provoked. Well, Paul's right. spirit was provoked, and he did something about it. But what would, what would people do? I, when yeah. I say you right now, I don't mean you, Glenn, but people yeah. watching this, what would be your reaction? You see that? My reaction was, I'm not dropping a dime in this place. Let's leave. Right. That was my first reaction. But I didn't do that. I stayed. I took hold of the love of God. And I got a hold of that. And then I went towards, towards the flame, if you will, and engaged them and, and did that. So that was a, that's a big part of, of me starting to think, wait a minute, there's another way to do something. And it can be done compassionately, but also intelligently. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of maybe, I don't know if that's the beginning point, but it is a beginning point sure. uh, of that. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely important. And I think that when we look at um, the fact that Paul reasoned with them and, you know, obviously Jesus did the same thing. We see mm -hmm. him and, and uh, because of that, you know, he wasn't afraid to, to, to enter the fight, so to speak. And he realized what he was up against spiritually. Ultimately, it wasn't just intellectual, but there was a sense in which the word of God, the logos mm -hmm. is logic. And you, yes, you pointed that out. So the word of God, logos, logic, even the very etymology you know, yep. Is, yep. is similar. Exactly. There. So let's just talk a little bit about the importance of um, Paul in terms of his impact on the world in that day. I mean, in Asia sure. Minor, as you said, um, there were a lot of people living there. There's major cities like the seven cities in the book of Revelation, chapter yep. two and three. Sure. Those sure. are part of Asia Minor. Um, how did Paul have such a measurable impact on them in terms of, of that? Like, what, what did that look like? Well, I, I'll tell you, first of all, when he engaged those people, and reason with them, that got them a hearing, if you will. And they took them to the um, a place called, uh, 
I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Area Pegasus. Yeah. Area Pegasus. Okay. Yeah. Now called Mars Hill, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. It made it a lot easier. Thank you for the Romans on that one. <laughs> but he got there and that kind of gave him a bigger platform. But then he ended up moving on to uh, Ephesus. And something happened in Ephesus. Mm. And uh, it says in Acts chapter 19.8, it says that Paul went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning. There's that word again. Mm. Reasoning, not performing you know, things. He was reasoning. He, we do know he moved in the spirit. We do know there were miracles done by his sure. hands. I no way want to minimize or pretend that didn't happen because it's a big deal. But reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. And some people didn't like it, so they kind of got bent out of shape. And so they moved over, if you will, to the school or the hall of Tyrannus. Have you been there, by the way? I have, yes. Yeah, okay. I have it. I want to go (laughs) just to see these things with my own eyes. But he goes there, and the Bible says he continued there for two years. Wow. And it says, so that, and this is the thing that got got my attention. So that all who dwelt in Asia, Hmm. that Asia Minor, which was estimated at the time to be, I mean, when they look back at estimates, they say about 2 million people. All of them Hmm. heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greeks. Wow. That's amazing. He's at at the hall or the school of Tyrannus, and he's reasoning daily, as they say in Tradition says from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. I don't know. That's the right, right time or not, but that's what they say. <laughs> but he was d- doing that. And, of course, what happened? I've sh- obviously, people got converted, and they got taught, and they became disciples, and they went out. Hmm. In 24 months, all of Asia had heard. That's pretty staggering. Yeah. I've been in, in Florida for uh, a, a good number of years now, 20-some-odd uh, years, and and I don't think all of Sarasota's heard. Yes. <laughs> Right. You know, I'm, uh, I've shared my testimony in lots of places. But anyway, you, you know what I'm saying? That's a pretty big impact. So I started to study, how did you do that? And, mm. and, and what were the things that he deployed? And one of the things that I wanted to reawaken in the church, if you will, was the thing that is emphasized here, which is this whole thing about <clears throat> using reasoning and logic. We, I'll get to the other things that he did. There's, I don't want to minimize that. Mm-hmm. But he absolutely did those things. And so as I as I scroll up here, you know, in in um, 2 Corinthians four, uh, 10, verse four, the weapons of our warfare are not are are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity of the obedience of Christ. Now, when I heard that all my Christian life. It always seemed to me like what we're talking about is we must be talking about some kind of spiritual warfare. And it's and, and so we're going to go and, and we're going to do various spiritual activities, none of which, just to be crystal clear, I'm not trying to minimize or, or down, you know, I, I don't have anything bad to say about any of that kind of stuff. But I did notice this, that I, when I took the time to amplify that last weekend, I think it was or two weekends mm-hmm. ago. And spend a you know good part of the day just taking these two verses and going not only into the original Greek, but going into the context of the times. The verse reads like this: that the weapons of our warfare are strategic and tactical, not carnal, not carnal, excuse me, and governed by mere human nature or aroused by the depraved animal nature. They are mighty and they are powerful like dynamite capable of producing results through God to the pulling down destruction and demolition of strongholds. Hmm. What are the strongholds? 
it then says those arguments and reasoning on which someone relies on to defend their beliefs. And it says casting down without the notion of violence, <clears throat> imaginations, reasonings, arguments, and every high-minded barrier that privately exalts itself against and opposed to the true knowledge of God based on direct personal knowledge and experience and bringing into captivity every thought, purpose, or perception to the submission to and compliance with Jesus Christ. So yeah. that that let me know that a significant part of Paul's ministry had to do with using his intellect and communicating with these folks and, yeah. and speaking wisely. And you know that they, Jesus, they, they could never catch him in a trap. It wasn't because he he he, he you know tied him up in a spiritual knot. They couldn't possibly catch him in anything, and he always yeah. you know, had the upper hand. So yeah. Um, yeah. when it comes to reason, by the way, and this is one of the things I, I really want to get across to people listening to this, the word that's translated reasoned in the Bible is the word dialogome. Dialogome, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It comes to the root words dia, meaning through or across, and legomai, meaning to speak or to converse. And in ancient Greek philosophy, it referred to a method of inquiry and debate where two or more people engage in a conversation. Yeah. It's a conversation in order to arrive at a deeper understanding of a particular topic or issue. And this method was, you know, used uh, quite a bit by Socrates and Plato. Yeah. They thought it was the best way to uncover truth through mm -hmm. dialogue. And yeah. what we see Paul doing was, let's talk. Or well, it, it's Isaiah 118. Come, yeah. let us reason together. And yeah. so that's what we see. Um, happening. So when Paul goes to Athens, you know, he, as far as we know, he, well, he didn't say it's not recorded in the Bible. He may have done some of this, but it's not recorded that he didn't go and say, I'm going to, I bind the strong man over Athens. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then the next day, everybody comes looking for him saying, how can I be saved? <laughs> you know, he went out in the street and he, he reasoned with him. And, you know, obviously he did other things, which we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. So, when people are wanting to have influence, there's four things that are particularly important to okay. be successful at reasoning. Okay. And the first one is to be an active listener. Hmm. The, the full attention to the person that you're talking to. Um, try to understand things from their perspective and um, <clears throat> reflect on their points and acknowledge their feelings and experiences. Take the time to, to really actively listen to what they're saying. Because when I was talking to those two guys in, in, in the store, I didn't come in and say, listen, you guys are off your rocker. Let me tell you, Jesus is the way. If you know, It's turn or burn. I didn't do any of that. I asked them, what is your name? What does it mean? Tell me about your belief. What's that? And then I just asked logical questions, which they couldn't mm -hmm. answer, which then gave me the open. But I, was, I cared about it. The second thing was empathy. I had genuine empathy. you got to have that empathetic uh, attitude, if you will, with wow. somebody. So that because you're trying to lower their resistance so that you can plant your seed in the heart. So there's listening, there's empathy. And then there's number three. This is a little catchy. It's called critical thinking. <laughs> it involves analyzing information, evaluating evidence, making informed judgments. And so there's there's a critical thinking part that says when I'm going to reason, I'm going to think in these terms. I'm going to uh, I'm even going to look at my own biases and my own assumptions. And we're going to have a very healthy dialogue. And when you do that, then you can identify some of the, the logical fallacies or the false arguments that people raise, which they do all the time. You hear yeah. it said, I heard somebody say just the other day, said, um, you know, all, all wars are fought over religion. And you've heard that. 
Right, Glenn? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I was actually watching a video of this. I wasn't in, in, uh, directly interacting. And I thought, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. awful. And then I got to thinking about it. I don't remember, uh, I don't know, World War II being fought over religion. I don't remember World uh -huh. War I being, a, that's a religious war. I don't remember the Civil War being about religion. I don't remember uh, the Vietnam War being about this and this one, this one. I started thinking, when was that? The Crusades? What are we talking about here? Right. But, you know, sometimes, I'm not saying there's not, um, that religious people don't get in it, but those wars were not fought over religion, in my understanding. Yeah. So then Jesus comes along and he says in uh, Luke 21, he says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to gainsay nor go. resist. So, uh, in addition, and and but here's the thing. I, I say this sometimes to people. You know, God has never spoken to me in German. He's never spoken to me in in Icelandic either. <laughs> and I'm assuming it's because He knows that I have no idea what that would sound, what those words would be. So He only speaks to me. In, in in a way that I'm going to even understand it. Right. And so the, to the extent that you can develop your own capacities, the more of what he has to say, you're able to receive and put back out to people. So mm -hmm. if you're going to reason, there's an art to it. You're going to use logical and critical thinking uh, to analyze information and, and draw valid conclusions. And it involves the ability to identify assumptions the ability to identify people's biases, yours and theirs, sure. recognize the false arguments, evaluate evidence, construct clear and persuasive arguments. Mm. So that means we got to bring in logic and the proper use of logic, which is what Isaac Watts, the guy that wrote 600 hymns, <clears throat> Joy to the World, and um, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and so forth. Mm. He wrote a lot of hymns. He's a theologian, a poet, a genius, a logician. He wrote a book on logic and... <clears throat> Basically made the point that you brought up that God, Jesus is the logos that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the logos, which is the, we get the same word logic from it. God is not illogical. He's perfectly logical. In fact, logic is a very sound and wise way to win an argument, to, to win somebody over. Because if we're saying something to somebody and it makes no sense to them, it's completely illogical. Right. Sometimes we say, well, you know, the, they can't discern the things of the spirit and, and all that, which is true, but mm -hmm. that may not be the problem. So I say that God is logical. And <clears throat> if you learn how to think logically, you'll more readily recognize the logic of God, which is, in my opinion, unassailable. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul was very good at this. He used known he, he, at least three languages. He, he spoke uh, Aramaic, he spoke Hebrew, and he spoke uh, Greek. That those are the languages that we are. They say that he knew. He was yeah. a pretty educated guy, very smart, and so he said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." He was very skilled in the use of reason and logical and logic. But they say logic is not very spiritual. It's just you know, don't rely on your logic. Well, I gotta say it's like this, Glenn. You know, in James three sixteen and three seventeen, in verse three sixteen, it says it talks about the wisdom that is of the earth is earthly, sensual, and demonic. But there's another kind of wisdom from above, and it's, first of all, peaceful, uh, pure, peaceful, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of good, uh, good fruits, full of mercy, right. <clears throat> no hypocrisy. And, 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 uh, Great passage, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it has those attributes. Well, logic is the same way. There's a logic that is earthly and sensual and demonic, but, there's, but the real logic, God's logic, is beautiful. It's pure and peaceful. So we've got to have that kind of logic, and when you do – now you are operating in the spirit because Jesus Christ is spirit. 
he is logic and he is logical. And so when we're in the logic of God, the logos of God, the ways, as you pointed out, as you know, God revealed his acts to the children of Israel, but his ways to Moses. Yep. And so when we step into that realm of logic, then that is a powerful tool. It's not the only one. He's I, yeah. I've identified seven that he used, but you can't be more spiritual than Jesus. No. He's the logos of God, and you can't be more logical than him. So don't be afraid to think, to use your mind, the sanctified, renewed, transformed mind, the new man mind, if you will, yeah. have that and operate in that. And that's, a, a, in my opinion, a very important thing. So the, the use of reason and the use of logic, which Sir Isaac Watts, uh, back in the 1600s, early 1700s, he wrote his book on that, um, really lays out how you think logically. What is the process of logic? What are, what are the keys? You know, you've got to be able to perceive something and, and, and make a judgment about it. Uh, then do some reasoning and then draw a conclusion. And then he lays out what are the principles of logic. And, and there's a way, if, if people want to know the ways of God, this was a studied, studied theologian, brilliant man who walked with God. And when he talks about logic, he talks about the importance of getting clear, using clear language, very simple rule, be clear. Speak with clarity. The Bible says if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who's going to prepare for battle? So he was clear. He was coherent. Uh, our beliefs and arguments should be logically connected and should not contradict each other. Like Paul said, what then? Shall we sin <laughs> because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So he wants coherence. And then there's the whole idea of uh, relevance, logical thinking requires us to focus on what is relevant to the question or to the person we're talking with. And uh, he goes on to talk about evidence. What you know, <clears throat> the Bible says, now faith is the evidence of things, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It right. also says that the heavens declare the glory of God. They're providing evidence. The firmament shows his handiwork, provides us evidence, and it's very precise, and it is there's an element of cooperation. So... What I want to say is this. Let me give you one example, and then I'm going to turn it back to you on logic. I had a, an atheist come to my house one day, and he was a nice guy. We had the uh, our air conditioning unit broke down. It was August or something like that here in Florida. You know what that's like. Yeah. And uh, and it was going to be three days. So you know, I'm married. I think you understand what that means. <laughs> my wife saying we're going to a hotel. I would yes. say let's rough it, but, but I there was a, a guy with a new company, young man about thirties, something like that. We had a business where he had these big um, AC units that he had, and uh, that they portable, and so we could rent them, and it was about the price of a of a hotel room, but we could stay at home. So we put one in the living room, one in the kitchen area, dining area, and one in the master bedroom, something like that. And when he's coming into my house. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. I mean, I'll be, I'm just doing business. That's all I'm doing. I'm just doing business. And he, he spoke to me and, and said something to the effect, how do you feel about having a man come into your home, in your sphere, in your area? He's going to do some work for you. And as far as you know, hmm. this man is could be spending eternity in hell. And you're not even going to talk to him? Wow. Yeah. And it's like... Well, Lord, uh, g give me an opportunity and I'll do it. I mean, I, don't, I didn't want to be, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to not do it. Right. So yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to do it. But what happened was he installed the equipment. 
got it all installed and he packed up and he he left he got in his car and as he was pulling out I thought oh my gosh I didn't do it I didn't mean I didn't mean to forget I wasn't bashful just didn't do it yeah. so I said lord I'm so sorry when he comes back I promise you but I need a little help can you give me something some kind of a I don't know anything at all that will give me a, a, a um an, an entry point. So when the guy comes back three days later, because our air conditioning is working now and he comes in and he's fixing, he's, he's packing up all his units and loads mm -hmm. them in the truck, comes in my house, sits down at the kitchen table and he's writing out an invoice. And he says to me, so Mr. Pink, what do you do for a living? I thought, thank you, Jesus. There you go. <laughs> I said, I teach biblical principles and strategies for success in business. And he said, huh, well, I'm an atheist. Yeah. And he's very polite, by the way. He wasn't combative. He sure. said, I, I, I'm an atheist. And uh, he said, I only believe in things that I can see and that I can measure and that I can quantify. And if I can't do that, then I don't believe in it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so here's where logic comes in. Okay, I'm not going to hit him over the head with a Bible verse right away. I said, well, that's interesting. Are you married? What's that got to do with it, right? Well, I asked him if he was married, and he is. And, and I said, uh, do you love your wife? Yeah, okay. Um, does, does she love you? Uh, yeah. Uh, if she was kidnapped, would you try to get her back? Yeah. Would you risk your life to save your, your wife's life? Yeah. I said, how do you know mm. that she loves you? Yeah. I said, is it because she makes dinner? Because you can get that at a restaurant. Right. I said, is it because of physical? Because you can get that without, you know, anything, right? Yeah. Uh, so how do you know she loves you? And, you? and he said, well, I just, I know. I said, you just told me that you would risk your life and lay it down for your wife because you love her and you know she loves you, but you can't see it. You can't measure it and you can't quantify it, but you'd yeah. give your life for it. Right. He said, yeah, well, yeah. I said, do you know the Bible says that God is love? He said, ah, oh, oh, okay. Uh, and, then, and so then I went from there and just opened up the gospel to him. And a few minutes later, we were praying together and, you know, <laughs> receiving Christ and all that. But oh. what we did was a simple process of, okay, that's your position let's use some reasoning here hmm. okay and that's that's how that uh, unfolded so that's yeah. a little bit about the power of reasoning and logic and rational thinking sure using that kind of thing yeah no that's wonderful thank you michael and you know the bible does say that god is a god both of power and of wisdom and uh, paul talked about that in first corinthians very clearly and yet we see him in ephesus as you've mentioned where there's being handkerchiefs taken from his body, uh, aprons placed on the sick, miracles are happening, demonized people are being set free. But then what happens is he continues, as you said, Michael, to reason with the people. And that's a very powerful thing because um, we see here both the apostolic, which is demonstrating the gospel, and then the you know, the uh, I guess it's an apologist, which apologia comes from that word again, uh, logos, 
which is about defending things and and as you said through dialogue and so on now let's um talk about the seven strategies of paul i believe you've come up with that and just can you walk us through those seven strategies quickly and then maybe take a couple of them and just unpack them more yeah 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 sure sure okay the the uh the seven strategies that i talked about with paul the first one of course was what he did with uh reasoning um just doing that the second strategy is questioning and I'll, i'll get into that in a minute the third one and we see Jesus does the same thing, but stories or illustrations. The fourth one is being led of the spirit. Now, these are ways, and I'll unpack as many as you want, um, but these are ways that Paul walked in and Jesus walked in and with great effect. So he didn't always reason, but there was reasoning. There was questioning. There were examples of stories or illustrations he told in front of Agrippa mm. and Festus. Um, he was led of the spirit, very important, uh, operating mm. the gifts, you know, miracles. Was like he had a gift of miracles and working miracles. So many yeah. unusual miracles were done. Uh, there's the power of your own testimony, which he did give to uh, right. uh, Festus, for example, and King Agrippa. Um, and then, of course, there's um, speaking the very word of God, declaring that word. And so those are seven things that I, I've, I've looked at. And of those, you know, reasoning is talked about a lot. Questioning. Uh, the thing about questioning, Glenn, is... Do you remember, uh, you know, when I was a kid, my, my parents drank coffee. I didn't, but they would have um, a can of of uh, milk, uh, condensed milk, carnation, yeah. condensed milk, right? I remember, yeah. And you had know, you know those little things that sort of pop open the can? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, though, when you ask a question to somebody, see, their mind is closed like a can, but then you ask a question and it goes pop. And it pops a hole in there, yeah. which allows their information to come out, making room for your information to go in. And the thing about a question is it's virtually almost impossible for a person who is asked a question to not answer it, at least in their own mind, in their own head. That's why you have advertising uh, campaigns sometimes that just begin with um, asking a question like, when is a, a diet pill worth a bottle of diet pills worth one hundred and fifty eight dollars? Yeah. It was the one thing. Well, the answer was when it works. Okay, well, what is this then? Right. And so questions are a really big thing. I mean, Paul asked them when he was being struck, is it lawful for you to strike a Roman citizen who's not been found guilty? Oh, I didn't know you were Roman. Wow. Okay. Uh, questions are important. I won't get into it now, but the, the jackass, Balaam's jackass, if you remember, how did he get out of that? God gave him a voice and the jackass spoke to them and he asked Balaam three questions. He led him to a place of understanding by using questions. Even the jackass was smarter than Balaam, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this thing about questions is a pretty, pretty big deal. In fact, yeah. when, you, when you look at it, and I, I've got a little thing here that I've done a little bit of homework on this, but uh, <clears throat> Jesus was asked 183 questions, mm. but he directly answered less than 10. Wow. However, he is recorded of asking 307 questions mostly to those who were asking him questions. So Jesus is the master communicator. He was 40 times more likely, 40 times more likely to ask you a question than he was to answer one uh, directly. Wow. Now, and then look at Job. We all know Job, but I I went to it the other day and I've done this before, but I couldn't remember the answer. So I checked it again. You know, he's reeling from all the disasters and everything that happened, right? And he's this opinion, that opinion. And then God shows up in Job 38. 
And it's stunning what God does. He didn't explain anything. He asked him a series of 75 questions mm-hmm. in a row. Amazing. Were you there when this happened? Were you in this? Do you know how a deer gives birth? Do you know about this? Do you know what makes the lightning? Do you know where the snow comes from? Do you know where it goes away to? You know, just one thing after another after another. And all those are instructive hmm. to Job. And, and so God is using questions en masse by the gross practically. You know, dozens and dozens of questions just throwing them at Job because he was trying to rescue Job, not by telling him or explaining him, but by getting Job to think because a question opens up so much and that's exactly what he did. And that's why, so when the Lord said to me, Hey, uh, you're going to let this guy just come in and you're not even going to talk to him. He's in your house. He's doing work for you. Huh. I said, Oh, okay. And he spoke to me. Uh, you know, I, I, there was a, one time I, there was a woman I, I, I met in a parking lot. I may tell the story a little bit later, may not, but you know, she was, uh, she had her kids and she was kind of not in a good way. I thought maybe even suicidal and, I asked the kids because uh, she was laying down in a car and the kids were playing. They were about eight years old or whatever. They were playing by the river. And I said to them, hey, where's your dad? And they said, oh, he's in prison. Won't be out for you know several years. I said, huh. Yeah. And so and they're, I said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, we live in our car. And so mom oh, comes wow. here and she parks here in the daytime. We play. And then at night she drives all night and we sleep in the car. Huh. And so then I asked the Lord a most silly question. Go in. Huh. I said, Lord. Do you want me to do anything? Yeah. And he said to me, do you see anybody else here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said to me, Matthew 6, 13, hmm. which is part of the Lord's prayer, which was delivers from evil. Okay. And I didn't, I was very uncomfortable with this. Because I had tried to talk to that woman before. I par- pulled up my vehicle right next to her. The windows were rolled down. It was the July of 1986. There was a, a we were in the drought of 86. It was disaster areas, uh, you know, were declared because of no rain. And, and it was hot. And it was early, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And I was there early to pray for my day. I'm a copier salesman at the time in 1986. And all this is going on. And, and I, I, I wanted to see if she's okay. So I, I rolled down my window, pulled up right mm-hmm. next to her. I said, ma'am, are you okay? Are you, you know, whatever. She wouldn't acknowledge me. Wow. So I pull away, I find the kids, I ask them what's going on, and that's what the Lord says. And so I thought, deliver her from evil. What on earth did you really want me to do? We're not at church, you know. <laughs> it's just yeah. me here. But I, I started walking over to her, and as I did, the woman who I couldn't arouse her interest in when I was trying to talk to her from five feet away, now I'm, I don't know, 50 yards away, and she sits bolt upright, and her head swivels I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but she locked eyes on me when I had decided to deliver her from evil. And the hair on my arm stood up. I was so intimidated, but I kept walking anyway. And then when I got to her, that kind of subsided. And I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. And, you know, we, we talked and so forth. And, and, I, and after that, I said, would you like to pray? And before that, she said to me, she kept saying two things to me over and over and over again. She would hold her shoulder and say, and say, I'm in such pain. I'm in such pain. And I want it to rain. I want it to rain. But it hadn't rained in months. And so I shared the gospel with her, offered to pray with her. She prayed the sinner's prayer with me. And what I was absolutely confident of was she was not born again. She was just saying the words. And okay. that was that. And so after we prayed, she's still sitting in the driver's seat in her car. I'm just talking to her through the window. Uh, 
she was saying how bad her shoulder hurt. And I said, well, you know, Jesus, he had a reputation for healing people. I said, you know, if you'd like, I can pray and, you know, maybe we can get healed. Maybe he'll heal you today. You know, she said, okay. So I reached my hand through the window. I put it on her shoulder and I prayed every way I knew how to pray in the name of Jesus and so forth. And guess what happened? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, wow. And so I don't, I don't know what else to do. And so I did the silliest thing because, you know, but because I'm trying my best. Now, think, give me a little bit of grace. It was 1986. So that's 14, 36 years ago. I was a little younger. And, <laughs> and so only thing I could think of was silly. But I said, I opened her car door. I reached my hand to her. I said, woman. And I reached for her hand. I said, get out of the car. Wow. You know, like get up and walk. I didn't know what else yeah. to do. Come but on. she didn't have a problem with her legs. She was fine. <laughs> But that's the last thing I could think of. And so she got out and she took a couple of steps and she was barefooted. And there was some broken glass that I hadn't noticed, but there was a brand new pair of blue flip-flops that were her size. And she put one foot in one and one foot in the other. And they fit her perfectly. And I said, are those yours? And she looked bewildered and she said, no, hmm. I didn't notice them before, but they were there now. Now she had something on her feet. And as we were standing there wondering where those things came from overhead, there was the most dramatic thunder clap you can imagine lightning and thunder and wow. the torrential downpour began and the drought of 86 ended in that <laughs> moment. Oh. And as that happened and we're both getting soaked, she's dressed in summer wear. I'm dressed in a suit and tie and, and, and she raises her hands up in bewilderment to God. And I said, do you see what happened? And, and, and she said, my, my shoulder, it doesn't hurt. Wow. I'm all better. And I said, do you see? Come on. He loves you. He put shoes on your feet. He took away your pain. He gave you the rain. God loves you. That's and amazing, Mike. You know, it was a big deal, right? And so <clears throat> we, we chatted some more. She got in the car because it was raining. And, and I said, let me get you a number because I didn't live in that town. But I was going to call a local church to get some help for her that, you know, that she could get some support and things like that. And so I'm, I go to my car. I'm on the phone that's built into the car. And uh, while I'm there, this hot rod, if you will, pulls into the parking lot. And it's a guy, you know, muscle bound, can of beer, nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> music blaring. And I'm thinking when I saw him, here comes the devil to steal the seat. And frankly, I hate to say this because I wouldn't be this way now, but I was once again intimidated. Hmm. And I thought, I'm just going to go give her the phone number for the church and then I'm out of here. Okay. By the time I got yeah. that, he had already gotten into her car and they were talking. The kids were in the car and everybody was there. I walked over and said, here, here, here's the number for the church. These people can help you, you know, get on your feet again or whatever. And then one of the children said to the, the redneck guy, the muscle-bound guy, said, that's the man who prayed for mommy, and she got healed. Wow. And he looked at me and said, you did what? I said, hey, it wasn't me. She said her shoulder was hurt. Jesus used to heal people. I thought he might do it today. I prayed. He healed her. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I didn't do it. I said, do you have any pain? He said, no. He said, I asked him a little, little bit about himself. He said, well, I'm divorced. I just got divorced. I said, how does that feel? He said, I'm heartbroken. Uh, said, you know, he heals hearts too. Uh, would you like him to heal your heart? He said, yes, I would. And he prayed and got born again and received Jesus. He wept. Wow. So <clears throat> th th these are these are things. The uh, and that's actually one of the the third thing is walking in the in the in the in the gifts of the spirit. There, you know, hearing from God and praying, and she's you know gets healed, and there's a word of knowledge, and all those things are happening, you know. But I have to say, you know, 
I'm not, I'm, I was a copier salesman. I'm not, you know, you know, at a church, going church to church in, in some kind of full-time ministry. I'm a guy, but I love Jesus with all my heart and I'm pursuing him. Hmm. So anyways, uh, questioning is a big thing because the mind is the yeah. gatekeeper of the heart. Your mind decides what's going to get down here and salvation takes place in the heart with it. You know, we, we confess with the mouth, but we believe in our heart and the mind is the gatekeeper. And the only way to get into the mind and down into the heart, the best way, not the only way is to ask questions. And so that's exactly what I did uh, with different people is I begin to ask questions. And as you do, a lot of things happen. It develops rapport, yeah. builds trust and on and on. So yeah, that's one of the things. Yeah. Paul did. That's one of the seven. That's amazing. That's like when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the disciples and, you know, they were dialoguing really, and that yeah. was going on. And then it began to talk about their hearts were burning within them. And yeah, it's, it's not like this kind of um, bipolar thing where, okay, it's, you know, dualism where it, it's either spiritual only to reach people or not into, well, Hey, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they're spirit and life. Yes, yes, The yes. words are yeah, spirit. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a very important thing. So questions. Wow. Can you imagine um, everyone who's listening to this on the podcast or you're watching the video? Can you imagine if we would just take the art of asking questions <laughs> mm -hmm. as Jesus did and as even as God as Job? And we would begin to use that, how it would transform our marriages, uh, our businesses, our lives, our ministries, everything. So um, let's talk about um, so one of the other strategies, Michael. What, what stories and illustrations? Stories? Okay, let's go ahead. Okay, as you know, everybody knows pretty much that Jesus told a lot of parables, and that's good. And there are a lot of illustrations. He said the kingdom of God is like leaven. Uh, he talked about uh, he's he, he's. He compared it to a sower who sows a seed. He compares it to a pearl of great price. He compared it to a treasure in a field. Mm -hmm. And God will give illustrations and he will give you illustrations and give me illustrations. That I, mm -hmm. that time when I was in Jamaica and I told you about those two Hindus, well, I was on a bit of a roll apparently. And uh, we hired a driver to go to Dun River Falls and on, on a day off. And uh, that guy, that driver that we hired for the day was a Rastafarian. Now, I asked him, you know, a little bit about Rastafarian. You know, that's highly salacity. And I happened to be a friend at the time, or I, excuse me, he's passed on by then, I think. But I was a friend of, of uh, Grant Jeffries. Uh, and Grant Jeffries wrote a lot of great books. And uh, he yeah. he said, um, told me personally that uh, Haile Selassie's grandson was a friend of Grant's. And mm -hmm. so I told this guy, I said, you know, this guy told me that his grandson said that Haile Selassie is really not God. <laughs> and and I said, let, let me share something. And I had an illustration. God gave me an illustration. And the illustration was of a glove. Now, this illustration has brought dozens and dozens of people to Christ in my own personal experience. Hmm. I said to the drivers, we're driving down these roads in Jamaica. I said, let's say there was a glove on the side of the road. Now, we're using reasoning and I'm asking questions. Right. Would you assume when you saw a glove, let's say it was a fur-lined glove, five fingers, nice glove. Would you assume that somehow that was a freak of nature? Mm -hmm. Or would you think somebody made that glove? Mm -hmm. Of course, he said somebody would have made it. So there's something created, then there must be a creator. Yes, yes, yes. 
I said, well, you and I, we're like gloves. And if you see a glove on the side of the road, sometimes it gets stepped on, it gets run over and it gets abused and it never fulfills its purpose until and unless somebody can come along and put their hand inside that glove, animate it and give it meaning and fulfillment and purpose and fulfill its purpose. And until that happens, that glove will just lay on the side of the road or wherever it happens to be and never, ever accomplish what it was meant to do. It may be on display in a bookstore. It can be anywhere. But until there's a hand in it, it does nothing, no matter how well crafted it is. Now, I'd like to ask you, do you think what's more more complex, the glove or let's say the human eye Hmm. or maybe the human body? Well, obviously, the eye and the body are far more complicated. I said, but you know, until and unless God comes and he puts his spirit in us like a hand goes in the glove. And he, when he does it, begins to animate your life. And you'd like, you now know what am I here for? And, you, um, and, and he begins to guide you and lead you. And you find your purpose and your fulfillment. And you can do the thing you were made to do. If you're a baseball glove, you play baseball. If you're a racing car, you'll be, that, you'll be racing a car. If it's a golf club you know, glove, yeah. you'll be playing golf. But you'll do the thing you were made for. When he puts his spirit in you, when he comes in you, you, the glove, come to life and begin to fulfill the purpose and destiny that God has for you. Would so you good. like to have that? Yeah. Yes, I would. Actually, what oh. he said was, give me, I want to think about it overnight. I'll let <laughs> you know tomorrow. And so the next day when he came, first thing he said when I got in the truck, he said, I thought about it. I'm ready to do this. Wow. <laughs> and we prayed and got born again. So anyway, oh. illustrations are, po- yeah. are powerful because when you can have either an illustration or a story that you can tell, yeah, it, 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 it can make a tremendous difference. And, and, and that can be very eye-opening for people. And so I, I, I like that. You know, I talk about being spirit-led. What does it mean to be spirit-led? That's one of the things that, that uh, Paul was. Well, my wife and I were vacationing uh, in Victoria, British Columbia one day, or, you know, one time. And we're, we're driving along and on <clears throat> uh, Ocean Boulevard in Victoria. I don't know. Have you ever been to that part of the world, Glenn? I have, yes. Okay. So it's a beautiful city. It's beautiful. And we're driving along the ocean. We just left the Empress Hotel. We're on this nice area. And we're chatting. And I said, do you hear that? She said, hear what? I said, I heard bagpipes. It's like, so? I said, roll your window down quick. Roll the window down. I said, somebody is playing Amazing Grace. We got to go around and find that. Wow. I said, what are you talking about? We turned around, pulled into a little pull-in area right there on the beach. And there was a man standing on a hill, an old man playing Amazing Grace and on, on an outcropping, okay? So he's maybe 10, 15 feet above us, above the sand. And there was a woman on the sand, you know, middle-aged woman, and she was standing there listening to him. So we went up to her and said, you know, do you know this guy? Is it your husband or whatever? She didn't know him at all. She was drawn to the music. Hmm. And so we began to ask her questions and talk to her. And you know what? She was desperate to know Jesus. She hmm. didn't know him. She held our hands so tight and dug the my wife's ring into her fingers about killing her when we were praying together because she was so hungry for Jesus. And she got born again there because the spirit said, go here, go there. I yeah. mean, I mean, I'm here in Sarasota. You know, Sarasota. And, and one night I said, my honey, we, I don't know why, but let's let's go down to Casey Key. We got to go for a drive. OK, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know, but let's go. And we're mm-hmm. driving down Casey Key. And, and along one of the, you know, it's just one road goes along it, as you probably know. And there's a couple of little side streets that pull off of it. And as we're driving past one of them, I see out of the side of my eye, an old man walking his dog. And of course I drove past the street and I said, honey, do you see that? She said, see what? 
I said, there was a guy walking his dog. She says, so we've seen lots of people tonight. I said, yes. no, this is different. We got to go to him. <laughs> and she said, looks at me. Oh, I did a U-turn, turned around, turned down the street, pulled up to the man, rolled down my window and struck up a friendly conversation with him. But as it turned out, he had um, Parkinson's hmm. and we had a conversation, <laughs> a conversation that led to a deep connection, holding hmm. hands, praying together with him and for hmm. him. And him promising that he would go home that night okay. and talk to Jesus about his salvation because he's getting to Obiola. So, you know, you don't have much time left. I mean, let's be honest. And, yeah. and it was a divine thing. But that's like, can we be led of the spirit? Absolutely. Are you led of the spirit? And we can be and we should be. But yeah. we tend to sometimes, you know, just sort of pass it off like it's just a, a crazy thought. Me, yeah. I, I try to do them. So, yeah. No, that's amazing. So, Michael, we've been talking about, obviously, in the introduction, about the whole fact that we want to finish well. Like Paul, we want to be able to say, hey, I've you know, ran, I've kept the faith, I've fought the good fight, I've finished my course. And we want to do that. And, and our listeners, our viewers, guys, I know that's your heart as well. And uh, Michael has talked about seven strategies that the Apostle Paul followed to really impact his sphere. We all have a sphere. We all have an assignment, a metron, so to speak. And God wants you to impact for his glory. And these are powerful principles or strategies that Michael has just shared with us. Would you, Michael, just in, just before we, we, we close, just go over quickly again, just, just enumerate the seven strategies. Just read them off so everybody can get this. And then... Uh, We'll um, we'll do a call to action here for people to connect with you. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Be glad to do that because uh, they are very important. And the first one had to do with just the whole thing of reasoning and using logic. And uh, we talked about that. The second one was the um, whole thing about using questions. Questions are like a can opener that open the mind, that open the conversation. Questions are a very powerful thing. The third one was using stories and illustrations that people, just like Jesus did, they go, oh, I can see myself in that. The fourth one was be led of the spirit. When he says, do this, do this, whatever it is, just be sensitive to the spirit and do it. It has incredible results. Number five, operate in the gifts, which I've done many times and, and seen dramatic things. Uh, number six is your your testimony. Bible talks about they overcame him with the, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is a powerful, powerful force because nobody can argue with your testimony. They might argue with your beliefs and your perspective, but your own story, they can't take that away from you. What did God do for you? What did Jesus do for you? Your story is powerful, your testimony. And number seven, of course, is the very powerful word of God. I left it to last, not because it's last, but I wanted to close off with that speak. The word of God, because in the end, the word is a very powerful uh, force that you, you know, got to use or should use because the word itself does a great deal of, of work all by itself. And so when you put those together and you combine it with, in the end, using the scripture, because the scripture is what brings conviction. The, 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 the scripture or the word of God is what gives light. It's, there's something about the word that sticks with people because it is alive. It is Amen. living. It's all those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, amazing. So, um, Michael, 
you've got a lot of resources. I mean, just behind you, we see very clearly all the books on the shelf that you've written. And um, yeah, have you written a book about this, these strategies? <laughs> no, I've written 20 books. I got a few behind me, but uh, you know, uh, I've got more in the works. Believe me, I've got, uh, there's more and yeah, I, I just, yeah. Well, so, I yeah, I think you better write a book about this. This is <laughs> no, this is very, very um, practical. It's you know, it's so so practical, and and we need that and and to be able to live our lives that way. So powerful principles. So let's in closing, just kind of give everybody an overview of who you are in terms of your calling, your contribution to the kingdom, sure. and uh, what's going on with Michael Pink. How can people connect with you and some of the things that you're doing in the kingdom? Well, uh, thank you for that. Um, of course, my website is michaelpink.com, and I have for decades taught how to bring the wisdom of God, the logic of God, the rationale of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, the presence of Jesus into the marketplace and transform it. I've led well over 100 people to Christ in the marketplace in the course of business. Only one I've ever led to the Lord in church. Everybody else was in boardrooms, hallways, parking lots, that kind of thing, cars, whatever. Excuse me. And so I've, I, I, I've taught Fortune 100 companies, two Fortune 100 companies, and a lot of other companies bringing practical strategies and, and biblical skills to the marketplace. I had, I had a client that was, uh, had 12 uh, commercial real estate agents, nine left. There was three remaining. They were looking for a job. And the owner said, Michael, can you help me? I was in 2015. I spent six months with him. We turned it around. They had a million dollar profit by the end of the year. Awesome. And he said, yeah. can you help me for a couple more years? Wow. And we did. And it became the 16th fastest growing privately held company in America on the Inc. 500 list. Wow. So these things aren't just theoretical. We've transformed companies. By the way, it, we went from three guys to, you know, I, I don't know, 60 or whatever it was. I forget the number. Exactly. A Bible study broke out. Revival broke out. It was an amazing <laughs> thing that happened in the company. Because we we can't live these Come compartmentalized on. lives. No, I don't. To me, God isn't first, family second. You know, this third, and so on. <clears throat> it's like a hub. God is central to everything I do, and it, it comes out of my family. It comes out of my business. It comes out of my friendships. Mm. It comes out of my every my finances. It's central to everything I do, and so I teach it for business, and that's what I've done. And now I've got something called the Jesus School of Business. And by the way, I'll just say this, Glenn. Mm. Tuesday night, Please. April twenty fifth. And then Thursday night, the 27th, we are doing a two-day symposium with a very dear friend of mine, Eric Beck. We're going to be teaching a lot of the things that God does. We're going to teach about the three business models. Number one, the business model that where what the, the seven days of creation, what they teach about business. Because God started this business called Planet Earth. And what did he do on day one? And why, why was that there? And day two and day three and day four. And what's the significance of that? And how does it apply to business? Then we're going to talk about professional development as viewed through the tabernacle of Moses, the outer court, the inner court, and the holy holies, and the seven stations along the way. And what they speak to, which, which if you understand that, can cause you to skyrocket in your performance. And then the, mm. the third thing is God made a tree. It's about the, the, the business lessons in the created order. Because God says that from the hidden things, the hidden things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being revealed in the things that he made, even as eternal power is divine nature. So we, I teach about the laws of nature, especially a tree, how it produces consistently and reliably so much more effectively than most people do, most entrepreneurs. 
And so I'm going to be teaching about that. We're going to be teaching about uh, Eric Beck's going to be bringing this part. And you might not have known this. I only learned it yesterday. I think it was wow. that there was one of the founding fathers. I'm not going to name him right now. One of the founding fathers, um, they have in the Smithsonian a picture of his daytimer, basically a replica of his daytimer. <laughs> and and my friend who teaches systemization and, and how to plan and organize your day said, oh, my gosh, that's what I teach. And that founding father, by the way, Forbes estimates he, he was America's first millionaire. And mm. Forbes said if he was alive today or if we just, you know, adjust for inflation, his net worth would have been ten point six billion dollars. Wow. So how did he? How did he plan his day? And it was amazingly simple and yet profound. And so we're going to be talking about that. And we're going to talk about Solomon's five success strategies that he identifies. He himself says these five things. He himself says that. And then the two that are a little bit more secret that are in the Old Testament 10,000 times, but they're only translated 200 times. It's kind of a cryptic message there. So if you want to know about that, if you want to come and join me, I would love it if you would. Tuesday, and by the way, we're going to do the a replay, a live replay on the day after, like on Wednesday. I'll be live again. We'll do it again on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we'll do part two. And Friday, we do part two, you know, in the daytime if it's better for people. So sure. go to michaelpink.com slash success. Right. michaelpink.com slash success and register for the webinar. We'll get you the links. We'll get you there. It'll be awesome. You'll get to see how God does a lot of stuff through the word and in, in his created order. And I'd love to have your, your folks uh, join us. And if you do, let me know that you saw it here with my good friend, Glenn Blakeney. Thank you very much. Wow. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Always uh, amazing and life impacting when you share. And so good to have you on the Kingdom Community Show again. And just want to say to everyone who's listening on the podcast or you're watching on Kingdom Community TV, Hey, guys, download our apps. Head over to kingdomcommunity.tv. You can download the apps for Roku, our mobile apps for Apple Android devices, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Samsung now, guys. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, um, we are on Android TV as well, and we just keep growing our website, kingdomcommunity.tv. Watch live programming. Watch videos on demand. This teaching will be on my channel you'll be able to see that as well. So thank you everybody for joining us. Our guest has been Michael Pink. Head over to his website, michaelpink.com. Learn all about what he's doing, how you can connect with him and uh, the resources, the, the, the teachings he has. He has something called the Jesus School as well, which is phenomenal. We'll know you love it. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us tonight. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about The Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.